Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Give them a call. They do great work. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including uh, Mark Schulman. He's a regular. He's been on the show for the last decade, actually, talking about global events. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We've been talking about what's happening around the world. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books, his latest, Shake the Money Tree. It is July the 6th, and on this day in 1862, writing under the name of Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens began publishing news stories in the Virginia City Territorial Enterprise. He was born in Missouri in 1835. He followed a circuitous route to becoming an observer and writer of American West. As a young man, he apprenticed as a printer and worked in St. Louis, New York, and Philadelphia. In 1856, he briefly considered a trip to South America where he thought he could make money collecting coca leaves. A year later, he became a riverboat pilot apprentice on the Mississippi River and worked on the water for the next four years. In 1861, his brother Orion was appointed secretary to the territorial governor of Nevada. He jumped out the offer to accompany Orion on his western adventure. He spent his first year in Nevada, prospecting for gold or silver mine, uh, but was no more successful than the vast majority of would-be miners. In need of money, accepted a job as a reporter for Virginia City, Nevada, newspaper called the Territorial Enterprise. His articles covered the bustling front frontier mining town began to appear on the day this day in 1862 like many newspapermen of the day clemens adopted a pen name signing his articles with the name mark twain a term from his old riverboating days clemens stent at uh, nevada newspapermen revealed an exceptional talent for writing in 1864 he traveled further west to cover the booming state of california fascinated by the frontier life clemens drew on his western experience to write one of his first published works of fiction the 1865 short story of celebrated jumping frog of calaveras county the success of that classic western tale catapulted clemens out of the west and he became the world a hopping journalist for the California newspaper. In 1869, he settled in Buffalo, New York, and later in Hartford, Connecticut. All told, Clemens spent only a little more than five years in the West, and the majority of subsequent work focused on the Mississippi River County and Northeast. As a result, Clemens can hardly be defined as a Western writer. Still, his 1872 account of Western Adventures Roughing It remains one of the most original and evocative eyewitness accounts of the frontier ever written. More importantly, even his non-Western masterpiece like Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, 1884, reflected a frontier mentality in the, re- the rejection of Eastern pretentiousness and genteel literary conventions. Uh, in my opinion, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn uh, is probably the greatest American novel ever written. Picaresque in the sense that it was a travel story of Huckleberry Finn and Jim down the uh, Mississippi River. So interesting. Here's a couple of quotes. Uh, What gets us in trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. That's from Mark Twain. Here's another one. Mark Twain wants to find patriotism as supporting your country at all times and your government when it deserves it. How true is that? And another, I also believe he said, politicians are like diapers. They need to be changed regularly and for the same reason. Mark Twain, great American author, and of course, uh, the great uh, adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Well, I hope you had a safe and patriotic Independence Day and weekend. Unfortunately, many didn't, of course. lost lives and people were shot and Chicago, New York, Baltimore, and other major cities around the United States as uh, crime is spiking. The governor of California issued a ban on fireworks with the fines up to $50,000. Uh, there was an aerial shot. If you haven't seen it, I hope you'll take a look at it. Of fireworks going off in L.A. County. It's almost in every block a major fireworks display. I think the public has had it with his edicts. 
The president gave two great speeches, and the air, showed, uh, air show and the fireworks on the eclipse behind the White House were spectacular. That's what we did. We watched it starting at 6 o'clock on July 4th. In his July 4th speech celebrating the country's independence from Great Britain, the president also defended the country's heritage, its history, and its freedom. No matter our race, color, religion, or creed, we're one America, and we put America first, Trump said. Now, just think about that, and how is it characterized by the New York Times? Well, it's divisive, is what he says, what they say. Uh, here's what another uh, quote from Trump. We will not allow anyone to divide our citizens by race or background. We will not allow them to foment hate, discord, and distrust. We will hold fast and true to the sacred loyalties that link us all as neighbors, as Americans, and as patriots. In every age, there have always been those who seek to lie about what the past in, uh, the past in order to gain power in the present. Those who are lying about our history, those who are, want to, us to be ashamed of who we are, are not interested in justice or healing. Their goal is demolition. Our goal is not to destroy the greatest structure on earth, what we have built, the United States of America, said Trump. The president also called out the liberal media who falsely and consistently label their opponents as racist and condemn patriotic citizens. The more you lie, the more you slander, the more you try to demean and divide, the more we will work hard to tell the truth, and we will win, Trump warned. We are now in the process of defeating the radical left, the Marxists and anarchists, the agitators and the looters, and the people who in many instances have absolutely no clue what they are doing, the president said. It was a terrific celebration of July 4th in our independence and of America. Well, last night Joe Biden tweeted this, if he gets elected, his administration, quote, won't just rebuild this nation, we'll transform it. We'll leave it to that. What did old Joe Sleepy Joe have in mind when he said that? It's kind of scary stuff, isn't it? Well, COVID-19, let's talk about that. 5,019 cases in Collier County with 85 deaths in Florida. There's uh, 200,111 cases with 3,731 deaths. DeSantis, and of course our governor, reiterated Thursday that residents need to avoid the three C's, closed spaces, crowded places, and close contact settings. I think that's a great admonition, and I'm just so grateful that he's not doing more like uh, the governor of California. 26% of hospital beds statewide are available, so uh, right now we have flattened the curve, irrespective of the number of people that are getting the virus. Uh, that's going to go a long way, he said. It doesn't mean you can't do anything socially, but how you do it really matters, he said. Stanford University Disease Prevention Chairman slammed using statewide lockdown measures as a response to the coronavirus, saying they were implemented based on bad data and inaccurate modeling. And he said, well, there's been about 50 studies, and when you kind of all boil it down, he says, of course, none of these studies are perfect, but cumulatively, they provide useful composite evidence. A very crude estimate might suggest that, and get this, about 150 to 300 million or more people have already been infected around the world, far more than the 10 million documented cases. He also pointed out the mortality rate is low among young people who have been contract contracted the virus. The uh, death rate in any given country depends on a lot on age structure, but he said for people younger than 45, the infection fatality rate is almost zero. For 45 to 70, it's probably about 0.5 to point, uh, 0.05 to 0.3%, and for those above 70, it escalates substantially, he said. Uh, since the pandemic began in February, more than 2.6 million people in the United States have contracted the virus and 128,000 have died. Several states have, seek, have seen spikes in cases, especially in the southeastern part of the country, where lockdown measures were lifted earlier than in other states. The mortality rate nationwide appears to be tapering, however, a trend the U.S. health officials attribute to younger age bracket in terms of infection. The national, the national single-day death rate for the virus fell to a three-month low last month. So all the uh, fanning the flames of fear about the, the coronavirus, we still need to respect it. It is extremely contagious, and some of us will get very sick or die if we get it. But as you can see from this commentary from this guy from Stanford, uh, it's not as dead, deadly as uh, some would suggest. 
President-elect uh, President uh, Trump's re-election campaign announced Sunday the president will headline an outdoor rally in the battleground state of New Hampshire next weekend, just a second rally since the coronavirus pandemic swept across the nation in March. Campaign staffers said the rally will be held next Saturday, July 11th at the Portsmouth International Airport in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. The coronavirus outbreak has seen less of an impact on New Hampshire than in more populated U.S. states. Uh, Rockingham County, which includes Portsmouth, has a reported fewer than 1,500 cases and 90 deaths overall, generally with fewer than 10 or new cases daily. So uh, that's, I think, one of the reasons of selecting that. The other reason, of course, is that uh, he actually lost this county and the state to Hillary Clinton in the last election. So I'm certain that he would like to uh, get a following in the, in the state of New Hampshire uh, and uh, get those four electoral votes. He lost by 3,000 votes there anyhow. And lastly, rapper Kanye West said on Saturday that he's running for president. We must now realize the promise of America by trusting God at unifying our vision and building our future. I'm running for president of the United States, he tweeted. He indicated he would uh, be running in November's election with the hashtag 2020 vision. West is a full supporter of President Trump and previously said he would wait to run for president until 2024. His wife, uh, Kim Kardashian, West met with Trump in the Oval Office earlier. Now, he has, he does, he's not even going to appear on uh, the ballot on several states because uh, the, the date for registration has passed. But irrespective, we'll see how this all affects the mix. I'm not quite certain what impact this might have or how serious he is, but it's something to watch for sure. This segment of the show uh, brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get season tickets now. Just go to the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, author of Shake the Money Tree. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, many on uh, past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, as usual, we're going to be talking about current world events as we've done for more than the past decade. And I uh, just want to point out to our listeners that you are in Tel Aviv right now, so your perspective is uh, it has to somehow be grounded. You've been there about, for about eight weeks now? Yeah, ten, ten, ten weeks, I think, at this point. Wow, it's amazing. I uh, wasn't planning to be here that long at this, this trip. I mean, I come here frequently, but... Uh, not getting on a plane anytime soon. Let me put it that way. Uh, certainly understood. So let's. And, you know, when we started this broadcast together, we were young men, but you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> true, Mark. And one of the things I really appreciate about our visits, Mark, is that you, we we don't always see eye to eye with about things, but I think it creates a real interest for our listeners to hear different perspectives, both uh, yours and mine. Uh, the closer we get yeah. to you ashores, the dip, <laughs> the, the greater <laughs> our differences become. But let's start off what's happening in Hong. Hong Kong right now. Absolutely. I mean, so in Hong Kong, the Chinese government basically seized the seized the the island, the the colony, the former colony, completely by passing a set of new laws that basically made it illegal to um, to talk about freedom, to demonstrate all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. And the result is going to be a mass exodus from Hong Kong. It looks like to Taiwan, to to somewhat the United States, to accept them to Canada. Uh, people aren't going to want to stay in Hong Kong, and about, and the Great Britain. Uh, I think half a million uh, Hong Kong citizens are entitled to British um, British citizenship automatically by virtue of birth. Yeah, Boris uh, Johnson, so, I think, said said he would accept up to three million citizens from Hong Kong, if I'm not mistaken. Could be. I mean, uh, I'm just saying with the ones that are automatically. He 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 doesn't even have the right to say no, so to speak. I see. They're British. They're British citizens just by you know. So yes, uh, obviously these people will be, a, you know, a plus to any country. Yeah, and um, that's what's going to happen, and they'll, they'll leave. They'll leave Hong Kong, um, and I think um, anyone who wants freedom will believe the Chinese government is intent on on pushing their 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 views and one one set of views, and any hint of democracy is. Certainly, verbatim them for them. They can't have any of that. Yeah. And, you know, the next question is going to be what's going to be with Taiwan, and we all have to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, this kind of aggression right now—you could just kind of slough it off and saying, "Well, this is what to happen in 2050, anyhow." But uh, uh, I think it demonstrates a real uh, resolve and intent on the part of the part of the communist Chinese Chinese uh, Communist Party, uh, what they're doing in Hong Kong, and what it might mean for uh, the surrounding area and for the United States. No, absolutely. So we have to, you know, they've become very strong economically over the years, mm-hmm. and now they're, you know, they're, they're using their their strength. They're also their military. They're spending a lot of money on their military, and um, they have some good high tech also. Something that most of it's stolen from the United States. Yeah, a lot of it's stolen from the United States, but they have their own scientists to train in the United States. I mean, right. We have some. We have some of our strange things these days. We're making sure these scientists go back to China because we don't want them to stay in America, which is another rather you know, strange thing we've been doing over the last couple of years. Yeah, well, uh, not for the last couple of years. This has been for the last 30, 40 years? No, that they've been going back, yes. But the fact of the matter is we basically, until I think until the Trump administration, but I don't want to, I don't want to be 100% sure, until then, people who got PhDs in the United States were automatically granted a green card and the ability to stay for citizenship. Because mm. the logic was, if we spent all this time and effort educating them, if they want to stay in America and they're a PhD in whatever field, usually fields that we do not have enough people in, because it's usually the hard scientists, that we will automatically allow them to stay because they just be in addition to society. Well, we should check I, that one out, because I think it was part of immigration policy that, we, that uh, people were... Uh, even the got PhDs, I think, were required to go back. But I could be wrong about that. So we'll, we'll set that one in the parking lot, as the old saying yes, goes. Yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The so, truth days in the post-Trump era, but okay. Let's, let's uh, move to Iran and what's going on there. Okay, so in Iran we had, 
we've had a number of fires and we had an explosion in their nuclear facility. They are stating that the explosion was catastrophic and um, that it's pushed back their program for a year. Whether we can believe them that it's a full year or not, we do not know. Who caused this is unclear. Now they're talking about a bomb. There's talk about a cyber attack that that created a fire. Um, all of this is possible. Obviously, if you look back historically, both the United States and Israel together introduced the Stutnik virus into their previous generation of centrifuges and actually put them back a year. So I would not assume that some combination of the two, one or the other, or both, didn't do something similar this time. Yeah, the first, uh, first, thing clearly, that, first thing that comes to mind is Israel and whether they had uh, some battling or their fingerprints all over this. Right, that it clearly, it clearly be the be the, be the obvious choice, but the United States as well. And the last time it was a joint American Iranian effort. We have no idea, you know, there's no way of knowing mm-hmm. one way or another. What we do know is um, sanctions aren't working. You know, whatever else the regime is hurting, they don't care if they people starve, they're going to continue doing what they're doing. And we always have to remember that. That's one mm-hmm. of the biggest fallacies that we've made, uh, not only in this administration, but in most administrations, is we take our values and transpose them on another society. So we think that if the people are hurting, that the government is going to give in whatever policy objectives we want them to reach. And we saw that in Venezuela. We see that here. We've seen it, you know, we saw it in Cuba for 50, how many years in Cuba? Yeah, yeah, true. And, but and, uh, and, uh, and it doesn't work. Well, it, it inevitably, inevitably the people will say enough is enough. Inevitably, or they'll be shot dead. Could be. You know, that's... That's the problem with a with a tyrannical regime that doesn't mind killing its own people. People can say no until they're afraid of saying no because they're going to be killed. Yeah, Mark, I have so much more that we should we should discuss. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show. On the uh, whoops, I've got to change my commercial break on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to keep people off welfare, able-bodied folks, and get them back to work. 
And you can visit the website to find out more, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. So let's uh, move to the uh, results in Russia and the election and what the implications might be. Well, 82% of the people voted in favor of the new constitution. The new constitution makes Putin basically president for life. Uh, so we now have a new Russian czar. His name is, is Putin. Um, what can I tell you? Yeah. Um, it's a dictatorship without a shadow of a doubt. Any sign of, of Russian democracy that existed for a few years is now totally gone. So there were protests in Moscow not far long back, as I could recall. Anyhow, I mean, does uh, do, what do you think there was? What does this vote mean? In other words, do you think people really voted? What do you think they were held accountable for voting the way they did, or how did that work? I think it was all it was all set up in the, from the very beginning. Mm. Hmm. I don't think there was any true voting that took place. So we'll see. We'll I don't know, but um, I guess we won't see. You know. Uh, Depends on if he outlives us or not. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So let's move to what's happening in right there in your neck of the woods in Israel, Tel Aviv, and uh, what's what's happening with the virus. Well, what happened with the virus is Israel made a tremendous mistake. It had almost gotten rid of the virus, and it was down to twenty cases a day, and then they opened up. But as opposed to opening up in a any sort of uh, fashion that was remotely, as they said, part by part, they opened up everything almost simultaneously. Mm. Uh, primarily the schools ended up being the biggest problem. And we went from 20 to a day to we now have between 900 and 1,000 new cases a day. That's a, with a population of 8 million. Uh, for a while, people were saying, um, don't worry because um, they're all young and they won't be serious and the number of hospitalizations um, were not that high. Um, but hospitalizations and deaths are, in, are a um, are not a leading. The, you know they they come later on, and now certainly hospitalizations have gone up uh, of people who are severely ill. They've tripled in the last four days. Hmm. So that's following. It's it's a, a lagging indicator. So and, the, the, uh, again, that's back to the the notion of flattening the curve. Are you saying that hospitals are filling up now with people that have coronavirus? Now, now they're starting to. Yes, they weren't. They weren't. In other words. The hospitals would all close their, their corona wards. We're down to somewhere between 10 and 20 new cases a day. And the virus would have died if they would have held out with uh, the quarantine for another two weeks. But hmm. they didn't. They gave in to the protests and the people who were saying, we can't, you know, we can't stay closed. And the result was they opened up, and they opened up everything very quickly without, without enough care. And particularly the schools were a disaster. The schools were a huge spreader, and they didn't reclose them. In Europe, there were a couple of cases where they just reclosed the schools if they realized what they were doing. And the schools, the kids don't get sick, but they spread and bring it home to their parents and their grandparents. Mm -hmm. And so um, the result is that, like I said, they went from went from 20 cases a day to 1,000, and 1,000 cases a day you lose control. So tell us, um, what, do you know anything about the uh, hospitalizations? Do, uh, do people stay in the hospital for a long period of time? Do you, what do we know about this? Okay, so we know the following. Look, most, don't, most people don't go to the hospitals. Most people stay home. Most of the people are treated as a severe case of the flu at home. Mm -hmm. Although, again, uh, there are so many cases now of people getting relapses and uh, also the symptoms long after the original symptoms have gone. The people who get to the hospital now, you know, during the first wave, almost anyone, everyone who was sick went to the hospital. Now the people who get to the hospital are usually very, very sick. They're doing their most not to put them on ventilators because, as we know, ventilators ended up being a they, it was a first-line defense when this whole thing started, and they right. don't realize that it was a deadly defense. Right. And so the attempt is to keep people off ventilators as long as possible. Um, and of the people who are sick, 60% um, of them are 60 years of age and older. Mm -hmm. But 40, I'm talking about the ones that are in the hospital, but 40% are below 60. Um, so... It is hitting some of the younger people, um, and we'll have to see. No one knows what the, what's going to happen at this point. They're talking about this. They started reimposing restrictions. 
but so, it's very hard to reimpose the ones you, once you've taken, you know, once you've let them out, so to speak. So when they lifted restrictions, when you say lifted all restrictions, were the, was there spacing in restaurants? I mean, did they lift all everything? They, they tried to put they, they they put spacing in restaurants, but no one really kept to it. They were going to do things in schools, and they want the kids to wear masks. And then there was three days when the temperature was 100, and they said, no, they don't have to wear masks during those three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, once they do that, they've now raised the fine. If you don't wear a mask, you get a $100 fine at this point in the street. Mm-hmm. So wearing a mask is compulsory, $100 fine if you don't. Um, but, um, you know, the economics are terrible yeah, regardless. This is so interesting. I mean, I I, I promised yeah, last time we talked last week that we'd talk about civil war, so we haven't done that yet, and I want to make sure we leave time. But to me, this is so fascinating because it's kind of the canary in the coal mine for the United States right now and what's happening there. Uh, you know, I, I'm for opening schools, and there's many people who are resisting that, uh, you know, uh, and I understand it's the kids you're saying are not getting sick necessarily, but they're bringing it home. Uh, and uh, the the problem is they're infecting other the older people in the household so, so uh, right because kids kids on average meet more people than any of us adults yeah because in school they interact with many many more people so by interacting with many more kids the odds of them interacting with one kid who's carrying is much higher well you know when I'm around my grandkids what whatever they get I come home <laughs> after I visit with them right exactly <laughs> so that's the, that that's the point and that's therein lies the problem and the yeah. problem is even worse because the kids are asymptomatic. Unless you to test the kids every day, yeah. they're asymptomatic. They don't know they're sick. You don't know they're sick, and they're spreading it. Right, right. And so that's why it's so dangerous. It's not dangerous. The kids aren't going to get sick if they go to school. Yeah. Okay. That's not the problem. The so, problem is they're spreaders. So the question is, is how do you protect the adult population, especially over the age of, I think you said sixty, uh, and right. uh, those with compromised immune systems? I think that's kind of us. You have to self police. You have to take care of yourself. Yeah, but the problem is, look, the the the, the reality is that when Look, I don't know what the solution is at this point because it's it's taken over. We've lost control both in Israel. We've lost control at this point. In the United States has far lost control, at least certainly in in your state and Texas and the, in the, in the states that were more or less doing well before. Mm-hmm. Now it's very very hard to put it back. You know, to, to gain control, and it's very hard. To, you know, we talk about self isolating, but at some point you can't really live in a bubble, and you have some interactions. And That's if the whole exactly. world out there is infected. It's it's really hard. Um, and so this is a real, real challenge. You know, we've got to pray that they come up with the vaccine sooner rather than later because, um, you know, the economy is never going to come back as long as this is here because it doesn't make a difference what you allow or don't allow. Most people, I mean, certainly I'm not getting on a plane until there's a vaccine. Yeah. Or, you know, and why would you take that risk, right? Understood. Um, well, listen, I, I we got to, as much as I like to continue this conversation, because it's fascinating and informative, but I do want to talk about civil war, and I'm, I'm guessing that this topic is about the civil war in the United States that's going on right now. Well, no, actually, I want to talk about the civil, the real civil war. The real, okay, American that's great. <laughs> I didn't know. The civil war, not not what's going on right now. I'm not talking, there's no civil war going on right now. Just okay, war, good, war good to know. Now. So so go ahead. Let's let, get us. Well, I want to talk a little about the civil war because I, that, I've written extensively about the civil war and studied it all my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to make a, a statement, and this is what I've written about and I've done a video about. Look, people have to understand the cause of the Civil War was ultimately slavery. Mm-hmm. It wasn't state rights. It was state rights, yes. It was a state right to own slaves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's, that's what the Civil War was all about. They didn't fight the Civil War to free the slaves. However, the end result, the reason the South fought the Civil War was to keep the slaves. And, and that's what the Civil War was all about. So I thought and, the Civil War was about the, the uh, desire of the Southern states to secede from the Union. In order to maintain slavery, mm-hmm. understand that was the the whole point was not oh we did we don't like this union because it's whatever the taxes are too high or whatever no the whole point was their wish to succeed from secede from the United States because they were afraid that the West that Lincoln, listen Lincoln didn't want to free all the slaves Lincoln just wanted to make sure that no new territories right. that joined the United States would be slave states right. The, the, the slave states believed that if that was the case, that eventually there would be a majority in the Senate, and of course there was always a majority in the House, to eliminate slavery. Yeah. So they didn't want to be part of the United States that would eliminate slavery, whether it be in three years or five years or ten years, because they wanted to maintain the institution of slavery. So they believed in their right to secede, so not to fall under the laws that would have freed the slaves. Right. And so, yes, it was states' rights. 
But what, what were the states' rights they wanted to fight for? Mm-hmm. It wasn't the states' right to have lower taxes. It wasn't the states' rights to have um, lower tariffs. It wasn't the states' rights to, uh, you know, uh, have greater freedoms of whatever it might be to grow more tobacco. That's right. It was the state right to hold slaves. Well, you know what? And I think no other way. Well, I think we're in violent agreement on this topic here, <laughs> Mark. I think though, okay. I think it morphed into the slave. I mean, the reason why they wanted to secede from the Union is because of the right, de- the desire to continue to to maintain slavery in the South. There's no question about that. But the real reason that it evoked this entire thing is they wanted to secede, and the, the Civil War started because uh, the Union did not want the South to secede from the Union. That's true. They did not want to to straight to succeed, absolutely. But we have to understand that the reason they wanted to succeed was to maintain slavery. So, listen, I want want our listeners to check out your website, HistoryCentral.com, and do check out uh, Mark's writings. Actually, when you get his books online, they actually are much more, have more photographs, they have more commentary. It's very interesting reads, and you can check out, I happen to be a Civil War buff myself, and I'm excited to talk about this topic, Mark, but unfortunately, as usual... We've run out of time. We've run out of time. So I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Toyo, all your listeners. Thank you so much, Mark. And by the way, HistoryCenter.com is the website. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. And speaking of St. Matthew's House, certainly deserving of your support, helping the homeless, those with addictions, helping those that are in need of food, and all with no government help. They do a terrific job. Uh, And Lulabee's Diner right there in the Green Tree Shopping Center does a great job, too. They've created uh, uh, Justin's Place, which is the Addiction Recovery Center. So I hope you'll uh, support both Lulabee's Diner, open for breakfast and lunch, and do a great job. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTague, author of Shake the Money Tree. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. So tell us about uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are focused on high school and college students, and we educate and inspire them through our website, fee.org, and through events all over the country on campuses and in schools. Uh, we, the purpose of our work is to acquaint them with ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. 
fabulous organization, a truly life-transforming for young people in a very positive way. And if I just encourage you to have a young person in your life at those ages, uh, visit fee.org and find out more. Get them personally. Take Make the effort to personally get them involved. You'd be very pleased that you did. FEE.org is the website. Larry, you wrote a great piece. Uh, and uh, as you many times do, you write uh, people who demonstrate how good character works and the contributions they've made. It's about Sir Robert Peel. Most of us haven't heard about him. He's a man who deserves statues, which I think is a very timely topic. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Uh, many people, if they know anything at all about Robert Peel, even those in Britain where he was prime minister in the mid-19th uh, century, many people would think of him as, oh yeah, he's the guy who created the uh, police force in London uh, 170 years ago, actually more than that, 180 years ago, mm. and uh, the uh, nickname Bobbies uh, for the uh, policemen in London goes way back to... Uh, deference to uh, their founder, uh, Robert Peel. But I think of the 55 prime ministers that Britain has had over the years, Robert Peel should stand out as one of the best. He uh, is a great example of a politician who, uh, unlike so many of them, actually got better the longer he was in office. Hmm. (laughs) Is that because of the transformation of his own personal views on liberty? Yes, it really was. Uh, At that time, the first half of the 19th century, there were uh, growing numbers of people who were acquainted with the uh, teachings of people like Adam Smith, the great economist, and Frederick Bastiat, the French economist, and so forth. And so they were uh, becoming uh, more and more friendly to ideas of uh, individual liberty. Mm. And Robert Peel was a reader, a thinker, and the more he examined those ideas, the more he uh, came around to embrace them. Uh, you know, I hadn't even thought about the fact that it kind of correlated with the discovery of these, uh, I guess we call the uh, economic liber- libertarian economic ideas or free ideas that, uh, that were created by these great uh, Bastiat and others. That's right. And uh, Peel made his mark in a number of ways, even before he became prime minister for the first of two times in the 1830s. He had been in government uh, in various positions, the House of Commons uh, uh, from an early age, and uh, he made his mark first by uh, reducing the number of capital offenses, death penalty offenses, uh, in Britain as Home Secretary. You could be uh, hanged for any one of hundreds of offenses at that time, but he went through the books and said, uh, get rid of this, uh, <laughs> ease up on that, and uh, it, just for uh, cutting down somebody's uh, hop vines, you know, hops that you use to make beer, you could get the death penalty. But uh, uh, Robert Peel cleared the books of those kind of crazy penalties. Yeah. And just remind you, he started at a young age. He was elected to Parliament at age 22. Must have been a very impressive young man indeed. Uh, and that, yes. the Bobbies in Great Britain for years, and I, up till maybe the, in the 20th century for sure, didn't carry arms. They didn't carry guns. Uh, did he have anything to do with that? Uh you know, that's a very good question. I'm not sure uh, whether that was uh, that originated with him or not, but it certainly would be in keeping with his general uh, philosophy of policing by consent, as he called it. Uh, he thought that the uh, average policeman should be a kind of citizen uh, 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 policeman, uh, not, uh, should not be seen as some kind of... Uh, hostile agent of a foreign power or a totalitarian or tyrannical regime. He wanted police to be transparent, uh, to be as um, uh, caring and compassionate as possible, and uh, use force only as a last resort. Yeah. He also made an impact on free trade, did he not? He sure did. He was the prime minister at the time of the repeal of the famous Corn Laws in uh, 1846, those were the laws that uh, uh, heavily taxed imports of grain. And in the 1840s, when you had both the Irish potato famine and the uh, heavy rains in Britain that ruined uh, many crops, it didn't, just didn't make any sense that Britain was preventing the importation uh, of uh, food that was needed to feed hungry people. So he, he had been a convert to free trade some years before, but he used the opportunity of the 
the uh, uh, potato famine and the bad weather in Britain to say, let's finally get rid of these. And uh, he pressed for and got complete repeal of those tariffs. How's he viewed in Great Britain today? Well, uh, there are people who know their history well, generally are quite favorable towards him. There is, unfortunately, this radical movement to uh, try to take down his statues. Mm -hmm. And when I looked into that, I discovered that the reason that uh, the radicals are demanding his statues be removed is not something that Peel himself ever did, but rather that his father opposed in 1807 the uh, abolition of the trade in slaves. Uh, but uh, Robert Peel himself never uh, owned any slaves. And, of course, uh, he campaigned for the abolition of slavery. So it's because of a few sins of his father that some people want to take down his statues, which makes no sense to me at all. Well, it's part of the uh, cancel, cancel, I'm sorry, cancel culture that we have right now in the United States yeah. as well as Great Britain. It's just unfortunate that people that know nothing about history are adopting ideas that are so stupid and so destructive. It's very, very sad. But this guy, I understand you actually have a picture of a photo of him. In your in your uh, office, it's actually a, a sketch uh, that from that time, and I have framed in my uh, house. I have had for a number of years because he's been a hero of mine for quite a while. And yes, great story indeed, Sir Robert Peel. I encourage our listeners just go to fee.org, check out this article and so many others, and again, get your a young person in your life involved in the Foundation for Economic Education. Be glad you did, Larry. Always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is uh, the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He had his press pass in the White House and all that, but uh, right now he's dedicating his time to writing. He's got two great murder mysteries that he's completed recently. The latest is Shake the Money Tree. We're going to visit with Jim. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show. Uh, if I can find my cursor on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part 
by uh, Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's author of a couple of great murder mysteries. The first is Shake the Money Tree. I'm sorry, the first is uh, Follow the Leader. The second and the sequel is uh, Shake the Money Tree. Both really, really fun reads. Again, uh, Jim McTagg. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here after a uh, long weekend. Yeah, hey, Jim, uh, by the way, uh, great uh, fireworks display last night in Washington, D.C., and second of all, violence in the streets, actually shutting down a highway. Uh, did, did that splash on you in any way? Did you, did you any comments? Uh, uh, yeah, and, and let's not forget the uh, president's speech at Mount Rushmore. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it all comes together. The fireworks I was watching this weekend are the shootings in, in uh, major mm. cities as, as law and order break down. Uh, get this, you know, Chicago had 100 shootings, uh, the current tally of 100 shootings, 15 dead. Uh, Philadelphia, 31 shootings, 7 dead. New York City, 30 shootings, 11 dead. Cleveland, 22 shootings, 3 dead. Milwaukee, uh, 12 hurt in uh, shootings. I mean, it's across the country. And uh, it, it just dawned on me, and, you know, it's more, it's, it's bodies are falling, not just statues. Yeah. So it dawned on me that, uh, you know, Biden is hiding. He's a candidate that won't come out and play. Uh, and so President Trump brilliantly has decided, well, if I can't run against Biden, I can run against his radical left, the Democratic Party's radical left, which is what he is doing. Yeah. I think... Uh, you know, all these shootings, in, especially in Pennsylvania and the upper Midwest, uh, probably are giving uh, President Trump uh, the advantage he had in the last election in the uh, upper Midwest, uh, despite what you see in the polls right now. Uh, the polls right now are meaningless. They never really count until after Labor Day. And even then, you have to look at them with a gimlet eye, because even these so-called um, independent neutral polls have somebody paying for them. Oh, and you know, doesn't magically appear in, in the in, at the uh, polling firm. So, so uh, you know, I think the election at this point is really probably neck and neck. Well, you know, I, I, the Rasmussen report puts out a, a tracking poll for the president uh, every day. And his uh, right now, his popularity, in other words, those people who say his uh, approval rating is at 47%. So, <laughs> and you know what? The enthusiasm of a Trump supporter is far outweighs whatever it might be for a uh, Biden supporter. Is uh, You know, he has, did you know that Trump has, I think it's something like 83 million followers on Twitter? Wow, I didn't know that. Um, I'm not one of them. Well, no, I do follow him on Twitter. I'm not a Trump fan, and I'm not a Biden fan. I'm one of those uh, yep. true independents. Uh, I just don't like politicians. It's, it's uh, you know, part of being a journalist for close to 40 years. Well, you certainly uh, make sense, Jim, for sure. <laughs> but uh, you, I, you know, back to your point, which I think is a great one. I hadn't thought about it that way, is that Trump is right now running against the left. And uh, when he does that, he's running against, uh, he's running for law and order. He's running for a stability of society, of, uh, of the, getting rid of the looters and the people who are pulling down statues. His proposal on at the uh, Mount Rushmore to build a garden, a massive garden with statues, I thought was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's hitting all the right uh, notes. And, you know, the uh, now if you read the uh, Washington Post, uh, my hometown paper, yeah. uh, their description of the speech uh, defies reality. So... I would urge people who didn't see the speech to watch it or to go to the White House website where they have the uh, document online. Yeah. Was it, it was somewhat divisive, I think. But on the other hand, he's, he's zooming. He reads the American public uh, like a wizard. And I think he's zooming in with the, uh, you know, the, the silent majorities uh, discussed at what's happening in the streets. It's gone from, you know, I think most Americans uh, are, are opposed to trigger-happy 
police who were cavalier about uh, about uh, life, and 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 uh, so I, I think uh, you know people genuinely would like to get rid of uh, bad cops, but on the other hand, people do not want to get rid of cops. Period. That's ridiculous. Uh, so the president realizes this at a visceral level. Yeah, and. And I just think that despite all the mistakes he's made, I mean, he, he's made mistakes that should have handed the election to uh, Joe Biden. And and the Democrats keep handing the election back to uh, President Trump. Yeah, interesting observation. I'm, uh, you know, uh, and I, I admit my bias is that I support President Trump, and I frankly don't care about his behavior. What's important to me is what he's doing for the economy and what he's doing for uh, what he stands for, what he's trying to do for America and American culture. So how he does that, I mean, uh, certainly there's boundaries. You want him to stay within the law and so forth, and he is. Uh, but I, I really don't care if he's offensive or difficult or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, I want to get rid of unnecessary regulations. I want laws on the books that really protect us from internal and external predators. Uh, you know, I want the economy to work, that it supports everybody, it helps everybody. So to me, I just I just like what he represents, whether I like him personally or not. I guess is a different question. Yeah, you mentioned the economy too. That uh, that was surprisingly good news. The uh, the recovery. A lot of uh, a lot of businesses. I see it locally. I live in Alexandria, Virginia, which is across the river. Mm-hmm. I see businesses that have been here for decades that are closing and they'll never reopen mm. again. Now, part of it was. It's creative destruction. Uh, you know, we've had low interest rates from the Fed since 2009. Right. And, and so a lot of marginal businesses were able to survive, to mm-hmm. keep their head above water, mm-hmm. because, because their borrowing costs were so low. Uh, now, now, even though borrowing costs are low, they just didn't have the revenue stream. So I think it's sad. Uh, we're going to lose a lot of uh, jobs at small businesses, but... These are probably businesses that that should have folded uh, years and years ago. Uh, yeah. Number one, interesting. Uh, but but a lot of companies have figured out how to operate in the pandemic. Um, I talked to a lobbyist here in, in Washington for a major corporation, whose corporation has decided to close their their uh, office building in Washington for good because they realize that they can operate just as efficiently and much uh, with much less cost if the employees are working from home. So, I mean, that's uh, that's good news for their bottom line. It's bad news for the uh, real estate investment trust that owns the building. That's right. So we're going to see a lot of radical changes in the economy. Uh, in the long run, uh, a lot of them will be better. But, um, but the fact is that we created... You know, companies are bouncing back. They're learning to live with the virus and make money and keep people employed. So that's good news uh, for for the incumbent. And uh, the other good news for the incumbent, you remember a story a few weeks ago where like 20 million people canceled their cable TV subscriptions. Uh, I think a lot of that uh, is beyond trying to save uh, money because they're being pinched for cash in, in, in the COVID hmm. era. Huh. Uh, I think people, I think one of Trump's legacies is he's got in, he's, cre- he's created a large audience of uh, very critical uh, news readers that people just don't swallow blindly everything they hear uh, on TV or read in the newspapers anymore. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I think that's a positive sign for him as well going into the election. So I guess I'm being kind of contrarian. You look at the polls, uh, Trump uh, is way behind Biden in the polls. If this kind of uh, civic unrest continues, and if these uh, liberal mayors continue to uh, you know, try to soft, soft, do a soft shoe dance around these rioters, I don't see how Trump can lose in yeah. uh, November. I don't either, fr- frankly, Jim, and uh, I don't believe the polls for a second either, to your point. But uh, a great commentary. I just, just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this with us. And again, I want to just remind our listeners, uh, Shake the Money Tree. It's a great it's a great read by Jim McTague. It's The name's spelled M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Interesting. He's running against the the uh, left. He's not running against Biden. That's a great. That's a great insight. All right, coming up. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll find out what's new with Boom Mortensen in Madison, Wisconsin. Ismail Hernandez is a what an interesting and inspiring guy he is. He founded the Freedom and Virtue Institute and the work that he does. Want to look forward to get an update on that. And Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, will be with us as well. I hope you make, oh, by the way, send me an email. I always appreciate your comments. And if you'd like to get the newsletter, I can do that. Just send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.